I grew up in in the country. I never heard of a farmer who took much of his seed and scattered it where it could not possibly produce a crop. I don't think this parable was written to instruct third world nations on good agricultural technique. I think the parable was written to teach us. It's in Mark's Gospel, chapter 4. Mark's Gospel is a story. Reach back to somewhere around 6th or 7th grade. What are the three critical elements of any story? Is Helen here? (laughs) Helen teaches literature. Helen, what are the three? Plot, setting, and characterization. In a good story, what's the author trying to do with plot, setting, and characterization? The author is trying to create identification between the reader and the story so as to communicate something to you. Much like the story To Kill a Mockingbird showed many Americans about the difficulties of discrimination and racial prejudice in America. And other stories coming out of the Old South opened the eyes of people in other regions of the country to how deep the problem was in our country. Even today, stories are still being used. One of the big stories these days is Star Wars. If you went and saw the newest Star Wars movie, I hope you were struck as I was that it was a rather blatant recruiting movie recruiting to recruit young children into the religion of Star Wars. Jediism. You can read the Wikipedia article on Jediism, which is just an old religion, religious view of the world brought back. Pantheism. Marvel Comics is bringing back all the old gods to us. Thor is coming back in the Marvel Comics movies. Mercury came back as Flash. And people are turning towards the worship of the ancient pagan gods because it makes money for people to do that. It seems that paganism never fully was driven out of Western thinking. So pantheism has been easily accepted by so many. May the force be with you, whatever it is. An impersonal force that creates the universe and sustains it. The Bible teaches something very different, that the creator of the universe is a personal God who became flesh in Jesus Christ, who we gather here to worship. Something very different than pantheism, the idea that there is some force in the rocks and stones and trees that you can tap into. Rather, we know that the Creator is a personal God who we can worship and come before in prayer for our needs like our brothers and sisters who are ill. Because He's shown His power over sin and chaos in the world. Mark's Gospel uses plot setting and characterization to draw us in as the reader to the story of Jesus so that we will want to be one of his followers. A good exercise this week would be to read the first few chapters of Mark's Gospel. Read 1, 2, and 3 and just on a piece of paper jot down the characters And what you notice about them, you'll see two big groups.
There are the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law. And they're very consistent in their rejection of Jesus and his teaching and their hatred of him. They usually are gathered together in a little circle off on the side trying to figure out how to get rid of him because he threatens their power base. Then there are the crowds who follow Jesus wherever he goes. They seem to be very fickle. Sometimes it seems that they're just looking for a free meal or an instant cure to whatever their illness is. A quick fix, we would say as Americans. Doc, can't you fix this right now? Give me a pill or something. So they'd go to Jesus and touch him and figure well, that would be good enough. And he'd fix them. What Jesus was showing in those miracles was his power over evil in the world. The evil of illness, the chaos of life that has entered the world when Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit and allowed evil to enter the garden. And we've inherited, as children of Adam and Eve, that sin nature that's turned towards sin. Jesus gives victory over that. Chapter 3 is immediately precedes chapter 4 in Mark's Gospel. Of course, they're in numerical order, right? <laughs> chapter 3 begins with Jesus healing on the Sabbath. Jesus went into the synagogue. That was a place of worship in ancient Judaism. If you couldn't be in Jerusalem where the temple was, you went to a synagogue. And a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. You see the characterization. They want to accuse him. To see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Jesus asked them, Which is it lawful to do on the Sabbath? To do good? To save life or to kill? And they remained silent. Jesus had the ability to ask the perceptive question which got right to the point of the matter. The religious leaders should be concerned about doing good. They're not. They're concerned about the opposite. They want to see Jesus killed. So he, he opens up their motive to them with a very skillful question. He looked around at them and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts said to the man stretch out your hand he stretched it out his hand was completely restored then the Pharisees went out and began to plow with the Herodians Herod, the Herods ruled that part of the Roman Empire they plot how they might kill Jesus they don't want to do good they want to kill The text continues, verse 7 of chapter 3. Jesus withdrew with his disciples, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard about what he was doing, the people came to him from Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon, because the crowd 
because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and called out, You are the Son of God. He gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. Jesus went up to the mountain and called those he wanted, and they came to him, and he pointed twelve that they might be with him, and he might give them authority to preach. He might, they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach, and gave them authority to drive out demons. And then the twelve are named, the twelve apostles. Then Jesus goes to a house. A crowd gathers so that there's just no room in the house. His family is apparently standing outside. They say to Jesus, your family is outside, they've come for you. Apparently they see all this going on, they think. His screws have slipped a few threads. This is getting embarrassing, we better come get them. Calm this down. Now who would you want to be at that point? Would you be one, be one of the group of people standing outside the house? Or would you want to be one of the people inside the house listening to his teachings? Jesus asks at the end of chapter 3, he looks at those seated in a circle around him and he says, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and my mother. When they said your family's outside, he goes, Well, who is my mother? Who is really my brother and my sister? It's whoever does God's will. And if you like story, you've identified with characters and you're in your mind thinking, I'm inside I'm inside the room. I want to be his mother and his brother and his sister. Oh, you do, do you? Let me tell you a story about a sower. He tells the parable of the four soils. The parable of the four soils is another one of Jesus' very insightful and well-phrased statements that reveals the truth of what's going on. We say, I'm part of God's family. The Jewish leaders, the Herodians, the scribes, the Pharisees, the ones that were plotting to kill him, they all thought they were the inside group. They were the ones that God was pleased with. He says, well, if you want to be the ones God really is pleased with, you do God's will. Let me tell you about that, he says. So he tells the story of the four soils. The farmer goes out and he scatters his seed. I well remember my family members who were farmers when it was time to put the seed in for the crop, how the fields would be plowed, cultivated, and the land prepared to receive the seed very carefully. They didn't just drive down the concrete highway throwing scattering seed all over the concrete or letting it spew out in the barn when they took the bags of seed in dumped him in the hopper. The birds would have loved that. 
they would come and eat it so but of rats and squirrels and other critters. So he scatters some seed. We read it in the parable. Some is along the path or roadside in some older translations. The path, of course, where is the path? It's where everybody's walking. So the soil becomes compacted. So the seed just lands on it and sits there. The birds come land and immediately start eating it up. The house before when we live in now, I had to plant the grass in the backyard. To buy sod was very expensive, so I did it the way my father would have. I just raked the soil up and got it ready, scattered the seed, and then raked the seed into the soil, fertilized and watered it. And soon we had a lush, thick lawn that many of our neighbors envied because the ground was prepared to re- so that the seed could respond and grow. So he scatters his seed. Some hits the path, which is hardened, and the seed can't take root. Uh, other seed falls in a different manner. It falls on rocky soil. Those of you that are fans of American history would have loved to have lived near us when we lived in Washington, D.C. Most of the Civil War and Revolutionary War occurred within a day's drive of Washington, D.C. area. I remember the first time we went to Gettysburg, the site of a huge battle during the Civil War that was a turning point for the Civil War. What struck me about the battlefield is no trenches. When you go to the great battlefields of Virginia, everywhere you see these trenches. The soldiers would dig trenches for defense, and they get down there. And when the enemy army came charging up the hill, they just lift up out of the trench and decimate them. Gettysburg has no trenches because the soil there is very thin. The rock is right underneath the top soils. You couldn't dig a trench because you hit rock after two inches. So Gettysburg hinged on where there were natural outcroppings of rock or steep hills that made an uphill charge impossible. That was very much this kind of soil in the Holy Land. So the farmer isn't going out to the quarry down Route 39 and throwing his soil into the quarry. When you hear rocky ground around here, we think of the quarries, huge outcrops of rock that are mined for their value and construction. This is thin soil that has rock underneath it. So the seed can't take root in anything deep. The sun comes up. It's not the sun in July and August during the dog days when everything gets baked out dry. It's just the sun of a regular day. 
the seed has no depth in the soil. So pretty soon, the little bit of moisture that was contained in the seed is gone, and the little baby plant dies. It withers because it has no depth of soil. When we lived in Libertyville, we were in an area where the topsoil went down feet, six, eight feet down. We used to joke you could spit on the ground and it would grow. No matter what my wife would plant, grew up thick and healthy because such good soil and good water table was up nice and high. So the soil stayed moist. The plants would be healthy. That, and that's not the soil in most of the Holy Land. It's this thin layer of soil over rock. So the farmer's watching his seed disappear. There'll be no harvest from that part of the field. The, the roadside soil, where the seed fell there, no harvest is going to come from that. Jesus explains what the parable means at the beginning of it. The seed is the word of God. And the soil is response to the word of God. We call ourselves McHenry Alliance Bible Church, meaning that we're trying to say very loud and clear that the Bible is central to what we are as a church. Not smells and bells, not rituals and costumes. I grew up in a, in a church where ritual... Incense, smells and bells, and different types of clerical garments were very important. And when the top guy in the region came, he had special clothes that he wore that told you he was real important. So everybody jumped when he blinked. Central for them was ritual and tradition. This is the way it's always been done. I can't remember how many hundreds of times my mother would say to me, this is what we have done for hundreds of years. She'd go back to tradition, much like Fiddler on the Roof, when the song is on tradition, tradition. It was always tradition. This is what we do. I remember well when, as a university student, I met other students who read the Bible and seemed to understand it. And that began to transform my life to see that the Bible was living and could be understood and could empower me to become a different person, not the person I had become. So what we're trying to say in the name of our church is that it's not fancy clothes or smells and bells or rituals or powerful people but the Bible that transforms us in, as Christians. Christians should be known as people of the book. That's what Jesus is saying. And Mark's gospel is designed using the traits of story characterization to get us to identify with the characters inside the room where Jesus is teaching so that when we hear the parable of the four soils, we realize I have a choice in how I respond to God's word. 
Jesus says that he spoke in parables may remind you of what you've been reading in Isaiah this past week so that seeing they might never perceive but hearing might they might not understand exactly what Isaiah said would happen to the Jewish people God would give them the truth but they wouldn't see it they wouldn't comprehend what they were being told So Jesus spoke in a parable which requires a little bit of reflective thought. Things concerning the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not celestial palaces and all kinds of things imagined by artists and paintings that I saw many times as a young boy. The kingdom of God is God's rule over creation. His rule over creation was perfect initially. The Garden of Eden story in Genesis, the first three chapters, shows us a perfect environment where everything is in harmony. There's no chaos. There's no disharmony. Adam and Eve walk with God in the garden and it's pleasant. Adam and Eve have an open relationship as husband and wife that does not, is not filled with anger and frustration, fights, disputes, and disagreements. But they have harmonious love for each other until sin enters into the relationship. And then difficulties start, and they're seen in how their children relate to each other. Cain and Abel, the murder. The kingdom of God is God's rule over his creation. As those, the part of creation created in the image and likeness of God, God has given us the stewardship of ruling over creation as his representative, which has great implications for how we relate to people and how we worship God. It also has implications if, like me, you studied environmental engineering, how we respond to the environment. That's a little unpaid commercial. If we are to be stewards of God's creation, we ought to take seriously care of the environment of his creation and not just disregard it and use it as a thing. to be consumed and laid wreckage, but something which should reflect the glory of its creator. So we have these four soils, four responses to God's word. Some people are like soil by the road or the path unresponsive to the word of God. Many of us have family members and close friends who are like that, who have heard God's word and remain unresponsive to it, who don't find the idea that God speaks and we can hear him desirable and don't will not turn towards his word. 
Many of us have a Bible sitting all around our house that we never read. And smartphones with the Bible.org app on it, which we never use to hear God's Word. One of the nicest things about a smartphone is you can download the Bible app and read passages at will or have them read to you. There's some little icon for a, a speaker. You tap it and it, a person with a very pleasant voice reads the passage to you. My wife has read large portions of scripture with her headphones on while she gardens. That's been very good use of her time. We both have found keeping up on the Isaiah reading that pastors asked us to do to be very easy to do with the smartphone. We just put it on speaker and then listen to it as we go about our morning duties. You're through two chapters of Isaiah on just a blink. So if you're finding it hard to keep up with Isaiah reading, just use your smartphone or your, your computer. Download the Bible app. Go to Bible.org. Maybe we can put some of those things in next week's bulletin for people that don't know where they are. The web address and the name of the app that you can download for a smartphone. They're very, very useful. Another good use for them is multiple translations. I like to read a passage in a very literal translation like the New American Standard or the NIV or the ESV. Then I like to read it in another literal translation that is a little bit fresher, the Holman Christian Standard I like. I'll listen to a passage or read it in three or four, five or six different translations, often observing things as I hear it read differently or read it slightly different phrasing. And then something jumps out that's important to observe. So Jesus has given us the parable of the four soils. The roadside soil. Those of you that like walking in the woods, where is the path in the woods? Does it go down the steep gorge? It always goes the easiest way to walk, right? The path is always where it's easy to go. Soil seed that fell on the roadside or the path soil falls where it's just easy to go and it fell on ground that had been hardened or compacted so it couldn't respond which raises the question why was the ground unresponsive to the soil I think there are two reasons why we become unresponsive to God's word one we become sin hardened or two we become sermon hardened Sometimes we can have so much Bible around us that we just don't listen anymore. It becomes too familiar. That happens to some children who grow up in good churches. If you went to a good church as a child, when a Sunday school teacher asked you the question, what's the universal answer? Jesus. Whatever they ask you, you just say Jesus. They'll smile and you'll be right. So that's sermon-hardened. You've heard it so much, you stop listening, paying attention. It just spews out an automatic answer, kind of like remote control. No thought 
sometimes in our zeal to teach our children the Bible, we we automate it. I remember years ago, our children were in a, a program where they memorized large portions of Scripture. And I worked with them every night to help learn their verses. We'd use the five-finger method. They would have the verse on a little card to memorize. Then they'd say it. I'd put my hand down. When they said it one right from memory, they pushed one of the fingers down. Of course, my fingers were spring-loaded and kept popping back. If they would do five reviews a day, in five days they'd have the verse memorized. That works even for those of us that are older, like me. Five reviews a day, in five days you'll have the verse memorized, if you want to memorize it. The translation they were asked to memorize was an ancient translation. Thus thou speakest thusly, to which my little child replied, Yea, verily, yea. No, they did not. They did not speak, speaketh thusly. So I remember many times asking, do you know what this verse means? They'd look at me and say, no, I don't know what that means. And I once asked one of the national leaders of the ministry that the kids that ran that program why they didn't use a more contemporary translation. His answer was, it doesn't matter if they understand what it means. They just need to memorize it which told me that he thought the Bible was a book of magic chance. He thought the Bible was magic. You just memorize the words, yabba yabba do, abracadabra, and automatically something happens. They didn't need to understand it. They need, do need to understand it. My children were becoming hardened to the word of God, I saw. Unresponsive. They just needed to learn the magic words. That's all that was required. So, how do we become roadside soil? Sometimes we hear the word so much, we just stop becoming responsive to it. What do you do if you're roadside soil? You do what my relatives would do to the fields near their house when it was time for planting. They'd get out there with the plow and they'd break the soil up. And then they'd run the cultivator over it. So it would be broken up nice small pieces of soil. And then wherever the seed would land, it would be surrounded by soil that it could put its roots out into. You've got to look at yourself and say, why am I unresponsive to God's word? How do I break this up? That may mean an intense period of study in God's word reading Isaiah in several translations every day so that you break up the resistance. Oh, I've heard this before. Oh, I'm familiar with this. And you stop listening after a while so that you do listen each time. Another technique that some people have found helpful to get them to really listen is making their own handwritten copy of the Word. Some people find that writing opens up their brain in an unusual way. And when they write it out, all of a sudden, the doors swing open and it gets into the brain. And it starts getting processed. It's interesting that many of the great missions movements were driven by people who made their own handwritten copy of the Bible. In the Dark Ages in Europe, 
Irish missionaries scattered out across Europe proclaiming the gospel and bringing the gospel back to a Europe that had become dark. One of the things they would have to do is make their own handwritten copy of the Bible that they carried with them when they went to preach. Some of those have survived and can be seen in museums throughout Europe. They usually have a solid wood cover on them. That's commitment. You want to be a missionary? Here's a Bible, now make a copy for yourself. We see that in many closed parts of the world. My wife and I have worked with the Chinese for years, went on a missions trip to China, where some of the people we met with who were leaders in churches throughout that huge country, the only Bible they had were handwritten copies they would make when they could see a Bible for themselves. That puts the Bible into your heart in a special way. So somehow finding a way to open myself to it, or in your if you're in a small group, a Bible study group, talk to your leader about the stage of Bible study called application. Application is asking, how does the Bible apply to me? So you look for promises to claim, commands to obey, examples to follow. Something like that, that, like in Mark's Gospel, examples not to follow is real big. I don't want to be like the scribes, Herodians, and Pharisees who plot how to kill Jesus because his teaching makes me uncomfortable. I want to be like the people inside the house listening to his teaching. Like the men who have a friend who's paralyzed. When Jesus went to the house was one time, they climbed up on the roof and peeled the roof off, lowered their friend down on a stretcher on ropes so Jesus might heal him. And Jesus says, I've never seen faith like this anywhere. And he heals the man. I want to be like those people, people who have learned to trust in who Jesus is and have faith in him who definitely will do whatever it takes to be responsive to his teaching so if i'm roadside if i'm roadside soil i've got to soften up my surface so that i can respond if i'm rocky soil i've got to simply deepen the soil one place in this hemisphere where there's a lot of rocky soil are the Andes Mountains in South America. The ancient empires there had to grow enough food to su support their huge populations. Scientists have discovered how they did it. They would, whenever somebody went down to the valley where there was rich topsoil, they would make them carry an empty basket down with them. They'd fill the basket up with the rich topsoil from the valley floor and carry it back up to the mountain. And then they built terraces with that topsoil and were able to grow good abundant crops on the tops of the mountains because they made the soil better, healthier, and richer. Years ago, we lived in Texas. Our front yard was just weeds, solid weeds. I wanted nice, soft grass so that when our son and his friends were out playing, they could play and fall and not get hurt.
on the hard dirt and rocks that stuck out from it. I started trying to find out why the soil, you couldn't even grow grass in it. It had been a cotton farm. It turned out what cotton does is exhaust the soil. And the farmers trying to get the most crop had pushed the soil to its limits until all that was left in that area was soil that had been farmed into exhaustion. So I started getting into organic lawn care. There was a guy in the radio that told us what to do to make soil healthy again. I got a mulching lawnmower and would work the mulch into the soil every year, use the right kind of fertilizers. Eventually the soil became very fertile and we had a, a nice lush lawn that the kids loved to run around and play on because it was soft and didn't hurt if you fell on it. So even that terrible exhausted soil could be restored to good soil. There are people like me who grew up hearing the Bible in church but never responding to it, never understanding it. The way God turned me into good soil was through a Bible study with other people who were Christians, watching how they listened to God's word and responded to it, how they were making application and then imitating. They were disciplers, so to speak, who trained me in how to be a true follower of Christ. So if you find that you've been roadside or pathway soil, get into a Bible study with other people of similar life stage and background and let them help you learn how to respond to God's word. Rocky soil needs to be made strong again, often by working from areas where there is fertility. Where do you find you are responsive to God? Work from that area and the areas where you found You've not been responsive to God. Thorny soil. The thorns, there's too much competition for nutrition in the soil. Because of all the competition, the seed doesn't take good root and bear significant fruit. If you find that that's true in your life, that other things are choking out the word. The words of this life, the deceitfulness of riches and desires for other things have come in and choke out the word in your life and make it unfruitful. Then you need to look at what that is that's done that. I remember well a young man in our church years ago who was zealous for God in the youth group, went away to college and seemed to go off the radar. The, the problem was he had decided he had to have a super high GPA in college to get a good job. And getting a good job was the key to having a great income, and a great income was the key to happiness. He was wrong on that. Loving, you know, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind was the key to a fulfilled life, not having lots of money. He had to rethink his priorities as pastor encouraged us on New Year's, New Year's Eve Sunday. Maybe go back online and listen to that sermon. 
What are the priorities in my life that I'm seeking after? The deceitfulness of riches. Riches are deceitful because they don't give you any of the things that they claim to give you. Look at wealthy people. What do they worry about? What does the stock market do today? They're overcome with desire to protect their wealth and to gain more of it. It hasn't set them free. It hasn't given them peace, contentment, fulfillment, joy and happiness. But instead, God gives that other ways. Matthew 6, Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures here on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Think about what am I storing up for myself? Some in here, you've all heard the joke of the bumper sticker on the back of the hearse that says, you can't take it with you. Because you can't. You can send it ahead. You can store up treasures in heaven. The treasures of living a righteous life, a holy life, of using your time, your talents, and your treasure for the things that God would have us use them for. That sometimes takes some serious reevaluation. Maybe a getaway weekend where you look at the budget and ask yourself, what does this budget say about what's important to me? Or you look at your weekly calendar and say, what does this say about what's important to me? And then reevaluate how you use your time and talent and treasures. Finally, there is good soil. There is one key question for those that are good soil. That is, how does good soil stay good soil? You don't want to be like that cotton field where our house in Texas was, where the, what, what was once good soil had become exhausted soil. That all too often happens. One time I was privileged to give the opening chapel message at a large seminary. I spoke on this passage to warn the students the danger of going to seminary is you get so saturated with the Word of God, you can become sermon-hardened or classroom-hardened to it, unresponsive, and the good soil can become exhausted soil. So how do you make sure that when you graduate, you're still teachable and responsive to God's Word, and, bearing, and God's Word is bearing fruit in your life? And we focused on that for most of the message. Having been a seminary prof, that is a real danger of not hearing God's word so much. Those of us that go to a good Bible church where the Bible is preached every week, the danger is, is we stop becoming responsive. Oh, that was a good sermon. Oh, I like that illustration. That's what we talk about, not, oh, you know, I've been thinking a lot lately about this area of my life and what God says about it. And I realize this area of my life is not in harmony with what God says about that part of life. I need to become responsive to God's word there. Good soil, I become unresponsive. So I want to take this afternoon and think about that and pray 
repent, ask for forgiveness, and start making changes in my life so that God's word will bear its proper fruit, so that good soil will remain good soil. I think the question Jesus was posing with the parable is, overall, each of us is one of the four soils. And each of the four soils has a spot in each of our lives. For every person, there are some areas that are are good soil, some areas that are roadside soil, some that are rocky, some that are thorny. Remember, the roadside soil was unresponsive. The rocky soil was responsive without perseverance. The good soil is responsive with perseverance and significant fruitfulness. If that's not the one that characterizes my life as a whole, I need to do some serious reevaluation of my life. I'm laying up treasures where moth and rust destroy and not where they will last for eternity. In the end, I'm shortchanging myself. Some years ago, my wife wrote a health food cookbook, Healthy Food That Tastes Good. Because it often seems that the stuff that's healthy is not what you like to eat. What would you think of someone who went to college, the community college right down the road here, McHenry County Community College, and took a course on healthy living, had this manual they worked through about how to eat and cook healthy, and they went to the store, and the first thing they do is start loading the cart with five-pound packs of sugar and highly sugared cereals, processed meats with all kinds of nitrates and salts in them, and all the unhealthy food you're not supposed to eat, no fruits and vegetables. You would say, why did you take that course? Shouldn't you be doing something different after all that work? Well, they should be. Well, why do you come to church on Sunday? Shouldn't something be different after Sunday? Why do you go to your small group each week? Shouldn't something be different after the small group? Yes, something should be. That's what the parable of the four soils reminds us. If consistently I'm res the response occurs when I listen to my favorite preacher on WMBI, but not when I hear a sermon in church or go to Bible study, or have my daily devotions. Then there's areas of my life that are roadside soil, unresponsive to God. I need to know why and turn them into good soil, responsive to God's word. What's the point of being inside the house and hearing Jesus teach if you, in the end, are no different than the scribes and Pharisees and Herodians, people that are trying to figure out how to kill him? because you're not responding to his teaching. There's no point to that. So which soil are you? Which soil do you want to be? Are you responsive to God's word consistently so that it bears significant fruit in your life? And then once... Good soil characterizes my life as a whole. How do I remain as good soil?
we began by asking in a story what are the traits, plot, setting, and characterization. Characters are described in a good story so that you will identify with them. In Mark's Gospel, we identify with the people who follow Jesus, not the finicky crowds who just say, what's in it for me, and then disappear when there's no food being handed out or when their illness is not healed, snap, right away. Instead, the gospel is written so we will identify with those who listen to Jesus, who believe, who have faith that is unparalleled compared to others in the area. Like the men who took the roof off for their friend because they've learned to believe. We all understand what faith is, don't we? Faith is a response. Sometimes people say, you just need to have more faith. Jesus talked about that once. Remember he said, if you have faith as great as mustard seed, you can say this mountain, be thrown into the sea and it'd be thrown into the sea. Again, a lesson from history. When the Panama Canal was dug out, there was a huge problem with disease because of the tropical environment. Why didn't D.L. Moody or some great evangelist get on a slow ferry, go down to Panama and say, mountain, be thrown into the sea? shaking and and poof a mountain gets tossed into the sea and an hour or two later there's the Panama Canal dug out by the faith of this evangelist think of all the converts he would have had or when the Ottoman Turks were at the gates of Vienna why did not some leader religious leader come out and say mountain be thrown on the Turks and that's the end of the threat to Christian Europe from the Muslims in the Ottoman Turk armies. Why in 2,000 years has no one ever tossed a mountain into the sea? If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know when mountains move, it's because God is doing something. God can throw mountains into the sea, make them break in two. When the Messiah comes, mountains move. So faith is a response. Knowing the, per- the character of God, the character of Jesus as compassionate, merciful, was what people relied on when they came to him with their sick friends, when they came to him in their illness to touch him. They knew his character and they relied upon that. They were trusting in who he was. They were trusting in the promises in Isaiah of what the Messiah would do in restoration. Trust is a response to the trustworthiness of an object. I love playing with kids. I'm a grandpa. That's what grandpas do. We play with little kids. They quickly learn that they can trust me. Anytime one of the kids says, if it's a tickle game, for example, our house is infested with something called tickle bugs. Tickle bugs tend to grow on the neck, under the arms and behind the knees and on the belly. And they have to be picked off very carefully. When you pick them off and squish them, that's the end of the tickling. Tickle bugs tickle like crazy when you pull them off. 
If you don't get them all off every night, the next day they're all over the belly and behind the knees, all over the neck. And the kids are wiggling like crazy. And we always had a rule, if they say stop, I had to stop. No matter what's happening, stop means stop instantly. So they learned they could trust me, so they let me play different games with them. Like the tickle bug game. There were other tickling games that we would play. Most little kids like to play tickle games. But they have to trust you. Or they're not going to let you do that. Because at some point they don't want to be tickled anymore. Trust is a response to the trustworthiness of an object. God has proved himself to be trustworthy. Read the gospel. See what Jesus does and says. You'll see that he's trustworthy. When he gives a command, obey it. Because he's trustworthy. When he gives a promise, believe in it, rely upon it because he is trustworthy. You can rely upon him. He is faithful to do what he said he would do for us. Will you bow with me as we close in prayer? Our Father God, we thank you that you are always trustworthy and that your Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus, is perfectly trustworthy. We recognize from his story that there are roadside, rocky, and thorny areas of our lives where your word has not produced significant fruit, where we have been unresponsive or responsive without perseverance. Help us this day to examine those areas and to begin changing ourselves that we may respond to your word as does your mother and your brother and your sisters and prove ourselves to be the family of God because we listen and respond so that your word would have its proper result in our life of fruitfulness. And help us to help those we love in the areas of their life that are roadside, rocky, or thorny. That we may assist them in becoming good soil as well. Let our church be known, Father, for being the church that not only has Bible in its name, but actually believes the Bible and responds to it so that the Bible will produce its proper fruit in our lives, in our midst, in our community as the Church of Christ. We pray and we ask this in humility, confessing our sin, that your Son may forgive it because he is our Savior. And that as our sanctifier, he may transform us into good soil. In his name we pray. In reliance upon him, we trust. Amen.